Frank Turek, in his book, uh, Stealing from God, gives this analogy. He says, when he built his house, they called in the drywall guy, the carpenter, the carpet guy, the, all the different, the electrician, the roof guy, all these different people, all these specialists in the area who knew all the things, the plumbing guy, got all that together, built a house. Well, then they had to call one more person, and that was the inspector. The inspector is not an expert in any of those areas. He doesn't have to be. He just has to know how to spot key, shoddy workmanship and signs that what was done was not correct. You know, whether it's cracks, whether it's, you know, and as I've often said, you know, I don't have a fat clue how to work on a car, but I know when a car is not working properly. I understand that. So, you know, people can say, well, you're not a mechanic. You don't understand how, but I don't have to be a mechanic to know that a ka-chug, 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 ka-chug is not supposed to happen. I don't know what the ka-chug, ka-chug, ka-chug is. I have no idea, but I know somebody needs to get in there and fix it because my car is not going to work. I said, I also don't think a brain surgeon, like if I go out and turn my key and the car doesn't operate, doesn't even turn on, I have something wrong with my car. I'm not an expert, but I turn the key. When I turn the key, it's supposed to start. I said it could be something as simple as I have the wrong key. <laughs> you know, we don't think about that. You know, maybe I, let's let's foundational. You got to have the right key. Could be the starter. I know there's a starter in there. I don't know what it looks like. Couldn't find it. Actually, on one car I did have, there was a little spot. A mechanic marked it for me. He's like, take a pipe and hit that every so often, and your car should start. So I knew there was a little spot I was supposed to hit. Okay, that's all I knew. I uh, didn't have to be an expert, but now I know that if I can spot a starter and I can whack the thing, I've got a 50-50 chance my car's going to start. Okay, So with apologetics, I think sometimes people get so bogged down because the field is so wide. It covers science, philosophy, ethics, morality, metaphysics. What is the nature of existence? Okay, Those are huge ideas. You don't have to know all the th- these things in order to start doing apologetics. Are you going to work for me? Yes. No? Yes, no? There we go. Okay. Initial considerations. Two options. We can be specialists or we can be generalists. Now, the difference being a specialist, Gary Habermas is a specialist on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, he's built his career on studying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we want to know about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you get a Habermas book. If I want to know about the science of the origin of the universe, I do not get a Gary Habermas book because it's not his area. You don't call the plumber when you have an electrical problem. But the generalist, they, they might ha- not, may not have access to all that information, but there's a wider range a generalist can do, and that's where people start. They need to start with getting that general feel, that general idea of these things. Uh, and the specialist, they rely on specific strategies such as Defending the resurrection in the case of Habermas, attacking Mormonism. I believe that was one of the things that was requested to this conference was we do something on Mormonism and it was Adam who tackled it because none of us had something preset. So Adam kind of put something together and he had some experience with that. And I've had experience with it, but I haven't done anything specifically with Mormonism. Now if I put together some things and brought together my research, I can give a pretty good presentation on what they believe. And But... Um, and also things like proving the historicity of Scripture. 
how can we how can we know that scripture's true? There's a lot of data, a lot of stuff people can go into that. Everything from language to manuscripts to uh, the translation methods to culture to all these things. Whereas a generalist relies on general tactics that are adaptable to situations, such as identifying religion types and the responses to them. When I teach my worldviews class, I always show them every. What time we get out of here? Do you remember? What's your schedule say? I don't. I don't want to make y'all late for something else. It's one. I think we get out a little bit before two. I'm just going to shoot for that. <laughs> okay. 1245? 1245 to 1. 145. Gotcha. Okay. So, with my worldview class, every world religion, every religion in the entire world can be put in one of nine categories. Whatever they are, they fit one of nine categories. And so, knowing categories, that's pretty general, but if I know how to generally reply to these different ideas, when I come across a religion, I can reply to their general concepts. You know, I mean, Christianity starts with the idea there is one God. That's pretty general. Okay, so if I was an atheist and I was attacking Christianity, I just need to attack the idea that there's one God. Because if there is no one God, there is no Christianity. Ignore the whole resurrection, Jesus, all that. Because if there is no God, there's no Word of God, no God, no Son of God, no God, no Word of God. I'm all those things. So that's what we do with other religions. We don't have to know all those detailed things. We just have to know what's the fundamental idea of God that they have. Because if that's not what God is, if that's not even a possible God, their religion, it's, it, there's no foundation there. Understanding basic logical tools, people say things that are just logically impossible. If somebody tries to convince me, I always share, share this. People can say things like a squared circle. But there's no such thing as a square circle. It's logically impossible. And so, even though we can say these things, doesn't exist. So sometimes people make these claims in religions, they say them, but there's just no possible way that can even exist. Okay? And so I don't have to prove that, I just have to demonstrate, based upon the definition of a square, definition of a circle, there's no way to combine these at all. It's up to the other person to prove it, and they, they can't. And we deal with common and typical basic arguments. I know they did the problem of evil. That's one of them. That's the, the number one argument against Christianity is the problem of evil. Okay, So we need, to, we need to deal with that. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we don't need specialized study. We do. That's not where you start. I'm not saying that general is better. Okay, but I'm saying it is good. It's a good place to start. I'm not saying these general tactics will magically save you in every situation. It's a great place to start and build off of it. So I'm saying that this provides the solid foundation that you need to bring that specialized knowledge. Because if you understand the fallacies other people make, you're hopefully not going to make those fallacies in your studies and in things you say. So, the tactics, the basics. This is Greg Kokel's book. The tactics, uh, so what I'm giving you is sort of a, con, a very condensed version of this, some of the, the best of the best of his book. Uh, and this part, the third part's just going to be some logical fallacies to avoid. First thing he says is a driver's seat. When somebody makes a statement or claim, lead with a clarifying question. So, in other words, what he's saying is that when somebody says something, for example, um, when I was in college, I had a lady who said, you know, the Bible's been translated so many times, there's no way we can trust it. Put yourself in the driver's seat. What do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean? You, like, translate it so many times. How? 
You know, what, where'd you get that information from? Why do you believe that? You know, and then of course, if she says, well, that's just what I think. And I was like, so you're guessing. Is, is that correct? You know, man, this, her name was Barbara. She was 47 years old, going back to college. I still remember long blonde hair. She was wearing glasses. She's just, and she was just like, well, you know, uh, she's like, you, you can't trust it. Based on what? This whole translation thing that you can't explain? I mean, we have an issue here. It's like, you're not doing very well. Like, I don't understand what you're trying to get at. Sometimes just asking the questions make people realize, oh, all I'm doing is repeating what I've heard, and I have no idea what that really means. Now, this happens also in Christianity, too. I do this in the church. Like, you've heard people say X. And like, yeah, what does that mean? And they're like, the thing we have in my church right now, a lot of guys um, always say things like, um, well, God told me such and such. Direct revelation? Is that what you mean? Well, no, the Spirit impressed. But specifically, these words. That's, that's direct revelation from God. So if I go against you, I'm not going against you, I'm going against God, right? Because He didn't tell me that. So, I feel out of the loop now. Is that what you're saying? You know, and people don't realize, oh, I have claimed way too much. Uh, just make sure you respond to their arguments and not what you think is their argument. And it also gives you time to prepare an answer. A lot of, I've heard this. People say something, and then somebody comes with a response. Like, that's not, that's not what he's talking about. That's not what he said. You're, you're attacking the wrong argument. You're attacking what, an argument that was not even given. Because we'll do this as people. We, we hear something, especially when we're, we're antagonistic towards the person. Like if you know, you're dealing with somebody of another faith and they start talking about something, you might key in with something in your mind and you start, you're, just, you're paralleling. You're not even on the same road. So asking the questions, make sure you're actually dealing with what was said. Uh, and you don't have to know anything to ask a question. That's a good part. It's a great part. <laughs> you know, I just, you don't have to know. It's like, just, just keep asking because they might realize, you know what, I don't really have an answer either. Well, now you're a stalemate, but you're way better than where you were before. You know, you can work from that. So with the art of asking questions, now in this talk, I stole a lot of things from the internet because this stuff's all over Facebook and uh, I just realized so many bad ideas, you know. The Bible's full of contradiction, isn't it? Please actually prove one using context and the logical law of non-contradiction. <laughs> in other words, when you're in, when, you're, when people say, the Bible's full of contradictions, which one? Show me a passage. I did this on Facebook with a guy one time. Um, he let me know what I could do after that and blocked me. All I do is ask a question. Just can you just show me one? Can you just show me one? I said I don't like your suggested activities for me, but I, I said I'd just like to know one. Just give me one. Block me. You ask questions like, "What do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion?" Somebody says, "Well, the Bible's full of contradictions. How'd you come to that conclusion? Did you did you look through these? Have you examined them? Uh, is it, is what you're saying actually possible? Is it actually plausible? Is it even probable?" People say, uh, you know, well, we just came from a puddle of goo a long time ago. Is that really likely? Is that really what you? Is that is that kind of how all that worked? Uh, is that even possible? Like, how, how do you how do you demonstrate that? One question I like to ask: If I could answer all your objections, would you change your mind? And this is critical because when you start with this early, what you're doing is you're, is you're calling for honesty. Because some people would say no, even if you answer all my objections, I'm still not going to believe. Sometimes there's some people, again, who just want to argue. You need to find that out early. It's not worth the time because you're not going to get anywhere. You cannot 
conversate with an irrational person. No conversation is happening. So if somebody is going to be illogical or irrational, you, can't, you will not get anywhere. You can't. And so it's a fair question to ask them, if we're going to really talk about this, and if I could answer everything. And somebody might say, well, I really don't think you could answer everything, but I suppose like, if all of my objections ever got shot down, yeah, I would, I would change my views. That's somebody worth talking to. But if somebody says, I don't really care what you show me, I'm not going to change my view, why go through the effort at that point? And that's why I say, uh, if I can answer all your objections, would you put your faith in Christ? And Frank Turek asks this a lot of people. He'll ask this early, and a lot of times people, no. If you answer every single problem I have, I'm not going to put my faith in Christ. Frank's like, next question, please. What's the point? So beware of the smoke screens. Don't fall for the professor ploy. What this means is... uh, as often put, the person with the microphone wins. If you're dealing with somebody who's in a position of authority, you know, don't don't fall for that. Bart, Bart Ehrman does that. You know, he'll he's the professor. I mean, he gets the last say. He's the one in control. So you have to be really careful when when engaging someone that you got to make sure the ground is is even, because the professor will always win. The professor can just shut you down. The professor can kick you out. So don't fall for that. Use a little discernment. People say things like, what gives you the right and who are you to say? I hear this all the time. What gives you the right to say that Christianity is the one true religion? These are not sincere questions because, I clarify, are you genuinely interested in my credentials or a discussion of rights or both? Is that what you're really asking? Do you really want to see my resume? Are you really asking a question about who gives you the right, what gives you the right? Are you really asking about a question of rights and non-rights? That's not what they're interested in. Uh, what I've, I come back with, it seems to me that you think I've made a mistake in my reasoning. Where and how? When somebody says, what gives you the right to say Christianity is the true religion? Now, I say, well, do you think I've made a mistake in my, my talk? Have I made a mistake in my argument? You know, wh- what have I said that's been wrong? Well, Christianity is not the right... Now, I said, I've already discussed why I believe this, where in my reasoning, you can't just claim the alternate of my conclusion. And that's what people do. Like, I give a talk, well, Christianity is just wrong. Based on what? Take, can you take any of my evidence and show me where I have misreasoned, I have misevidence, I have misrepresented, any of that? Because anyone, I say, it's the principle of nah. It's where anybody can look at you and just say, nah. <laughs> and if they're going to do that, it's not worth continuing because they're not going to receive it. Somebody says, says something like, everybody knows that. Da, 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 da. I don't know that. I don't accept that. So it can't be everybody. Can you show me how that's true? Can you show me why that's the case? So that kind of summarizes Kokel's book. Pretty simple, like I said. Some, some of the best things from it. Just learn to ask the questions. Just learn to do those things. Where I want to focus most of our time, where because this is this is where it gets a little bit harder. That's why I call it the advanced part of this, the advanced tactics. You gotta you gotta learn a little bit about logic. Um, it's my favorite spot pictures. What? <laughs> you know, I do this with with people. Some I was like, really? Um, issues of logic, such as um, I was talking with a lady in my church and. Uh, it was on the issue of Jesus turning water into wine. Now again, Southern Baptist churches, no drinking policy. 
And I said, Jesus turned the, the water into, and she says, grape juice. It's not what the text says. She says, that's just your interpretation. I was like, that's not an interpretation. That's not the word being used. The word being used is a fermented drink. There is a word for grape juice and juice. That's not the Greek word. This is not an interpretation. That's like me saying, um, you know, when uh, the speed limit is 45 miles an hour. That's just your interpretation. The sign says 45. (laughs) There is no interpretation to it. That's what it says. Now, you can either choose to go above or below, but that's what it is. There is no interpretation there. You know, interpretation would be, the sign says, don't go too fast. Well, to me, too fast would be 55. You know, somebody else will 65. So then we have an issue of interpreting what does too fast mean. So, but that's not what we're given. So let's look at some categories. And I say I use these every single day. Facebook, YouTube, friends, family. I wish someone had showed me these things a decade ago. So, some categories. These, these are what we're going to look at. First, we're going to look at key rules of thought. We're going to do what I call bad language. We're going to look at what I call suicidal statements and things that are, deal with irrelevancy. So, when we talk about logical fallacies, which is what the rest of this presentation is going to be about and how these operate, there are whole books dedicated to nothing but listing out informal logical fallacies. There's a book called 35 Logical Fallacies, and in it he gives you 35 common logical fallacies. There's another book called 46 Logical Fallacies. There's another, and I literally I own these books, they're Kindle books. There's another book called 76 Logical Fallacies. And so all they do is they just detail and give examples of how these things logically come out using different sets of examples, you, you know, showing this with morality, religion, different groups, things people have said. You know, they, the thing about logical fallacies is you can keep creating more. You know, wherever you just use bad reasoning. But usually, and this is not all the categories, but you can start to categorize them and realize that some of these fallacies are doing very similar things. So we're going to look at four basic units. I had five, but then I realized I don't have as much time as I thought I did, so I cut it back to four. I didn't put all the fallacies that I wanted to. Basically, as I was going through my mind, what are the most critical fallacies? I'm writing them all down. I'm like, I don't have time for all these. You know, so what are the most critical of the critical? You know, I started marking them out. So there's so much more, but this is where we start. And it's so often... Um, when uh, I do this with my mom, my mom and I, growing up, she used to say things like, um, well, there's, you know, there's, uh, it just depends on your interpretation of the Bible, whether or not, uh, you know, how you take it. I asked her why so many denominations. It depends, everybody interprets the Bible differently. Well, I asked her that question again recently, and you know, she came out with it and I said, well, is that really true? Is that just your interpretation of the events? You know, is that, is that really the way things are? And she's like, well, and so my mom would say other things, and I'm just, I'm, mom, that's irrelevant. The, 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 the irrelevant information doesn't matter. Okay, you know, refutes itself, suicidal. You know, I mean, just, um, she was saying, those idiots down there, bad language, mom, that, that's irrelevant. You know, you're, you're stacking the deck with your language. Okay, so I use this not just on my mom, but there are so many other things that this just comes up. And all, like I said, on Facebook, I think that's, I can make a career out of just correcting people like with Facebook, just some of the junk they post, and they genuinely believe it. So first, rules of thought. The law of non-contradiction is critical. 
you ever see this sign, you ask yourself, now what, what am I supposed to do? This is a contradiction. Okay? Uh, law of non-contradiction says that opposites, and with these I don't have a whole lot of text, so I'm going to let you know. Opposites cannot be true at the same time, in the same way, same sense. So it cannot be true that you're told, do not enter and enter at the same time. Now maybe there's times you can't enter, and maybe there are times you can enter, and people say, well look, you have a contradiction. It's not the same time. It's different times. Memphis is like that. Memphis has roads where there's little signs over every lane, and as you're going down the road, if you see an X, don't get in that lane because traffic's going that way. If you see a, if you see the green, like check or something, I'm not sure what it was, you go that lane. And what they do is during rush hour, they shift the number of lanes that they give to allow more more traffic during rush hour to go in, more traffic to come out during rush hour. At the end of the day. So that's not a contradiction because it's different times. But a contradiction would be things like when people say, God exists, God does not exist. That's a contradiction. Now those are what we call mutually exclusive. Law of non-contradiction says those two things cannot be true. In the case of mutually exclusive, they cannot both be false at the same time. One has to be true, one has to be false. Making sense? Because either God exists, God does not exist. That has to be the case. Either He does or He does not exist. So pluralists who say that all religions are true, well, the Buddhist and the Christian, they both are finding their way to God. The Buddhist says there is no God. The Christian says there is a God. One of them has to be right, necessarily. One of them has to be wrong. Okay? Law of non-contradiction kind of tells us these things. And uh, one does not simply bash the law of non-contradiction without it bashing you right back. Because people say, well, law of non-contradiction doesn't work. And I'm like, are you telling me that your view has to be right and my view has to be wrong? Because that's the law of non-contradiction. You cannot deny it without using it. Okay? That's why I say you, anybody who says the law of non-contradiction is false, well, that means the, the opposite of that statement must be true. So you're saying that the law of non-contradiction, uh, well, they're saying it's true that there is no law of non-contradiction. The opposite of that is that there is the law of non-contradiction. So if they're saying there is no law of non-contradiction, then you have to assume the opposite of that. There is a law of non-contradiction is false, but you have to use the law of non-contradiction to have that. Okay, so I can do this all day long. And it's a first principle. I try to tell this to pastors as they're in my college classes. And I'm like, you have got to realize just how fundamental this tool is. The other is something very much like it is the law of excluded middle. This is where you have only two options. Okay, the aliens exist, aliens do not exist. There is no in-between Okay, with the excluded middle. Law of non-contradiction focuses on the truth and falsity. The law of excluded middle says you have no third options. Aliens exist, aliens do not exist. My favorite example. Demonstrate to me a woman who is sort of pregnant. You're pregnant or you're not pregnant. There's no middle option. Okay, That's the law of excluded middle. And so that's why when it comes to, you know, you know God exists, God does not exist. Well... Maybe there's this mid no law of excluded middle. 
Now I invoke the law of non-contradiction. One is right, one is wrong. And this is how you start moving towards the truth. Okay? Just like, and just like with this, aliens exist, aliens do not exist. Now I've not researched extensively the theology of aliens. However, I do know that either they exist or they do not exist. And there cannot be a sort of alien. There cannot be some sort of alien thing that is an alien, but it's not an alien. That doesn't even make sense. Okay, No matter what group we're talking about, no matter what alien view, sci-fi, whatever. And I even invoke this. On, like I'm a big sci-fi fan, so I watch a lot of TV, like sci-fi TV. And so I watch this stuff, and I, I pick that stuff apart. I'm like, mm, no, doesn't count. That's not what they're saying it is. I, mean, I just I tear stuff up. So law of non-contradiction helps us discover what is false. And this is how we use it. People say like the earth is round, the earth is not round. We realize one of those has to be true, one has to be false. It cannot be the same thing. John Lennox says God exists. Richard Dawkins says God does not exist. Both are Oxford professors. He's a mathematician. He is an evolutionary biologist. Go figure. So you have their, you have their views. They both can't be right. Not possible. So, we're going to get back to that just a little bit, but another rule of thought. Questions aren't arguments. If God can do anything, can God create a rock so big that He Himself can't lift it? I was asked this by a teacher when I was in high school. He asks it, leaves it there. That's not an argument. You just asked a question. Because even though I may not know the answer, doesn't mean that you're right, and it doesn't mean that there's not an answer. It's at best a stalemate. You cannot use a question as an argument. Because like I said, as I asked questions at the beginning, when I said, put yourself in the driver's seat and ask questions, what you can lead yourself, if all you do is ask questions, you can lead yourself to a stalemate. Because they're coming as a victor. I ask questions, I can bring that down to a stalemate. Where we are not sure what the answer is, let us find that out together. So as we're arguing, and somebody says, well, what about this? What about it? Well, if that's true, you're wrong. Well, is it true? Well, I don't know. I don't know either. Stalemate. No, I win because you can't answer. No. I can't answer means nobody wins. It's a stalemate. So don't let people ask questions as arguments. You know, like people say, well, what, you know, as I said, what about this? Or, you know, what, what about this thing? At best, we have a stalemate. And that's why I tell Christians, don't be worried when people ask you questions you can't answer because all you have is a stalemate. Okay, if they start bringing all these, these, this data, well, now I've got specific things to research. That makes it a lot easier. You, know, you claim the earth is, you know, as far as life, we evolve from all these animals. Okay, which ones? You explain how that works, the mechanisms. Once they give you all that details, now I have specific things I can go and attack. I say, I can go, I can go answer that. I can go give a reply. If God created everything, who created God? Had a, had a child ask me this question. Uh, church not long ago. And uh, the, some of the, the leaders are like, oh, we didn't have an answer. Stalemate. So I can answer this. I mean, I, I got with them. And I, but this is, Richard Dawkins uses this. You know, you say that the universe uh, had to have a beginning. You know, well, who created God? Boom, I win. He didn't. <laughs> it's like we also have an answer to that. So, uh, second thing. So the first principle, second thing is what we call bad language. These are issues with the words and the terms and things people use, such as loaded language. I'll give you an example. Yeti, a specimen unknown to science, perhaps a hominid that survived until our time, or a mere legend. 
versus the other one. Yeti, a testimony to the diversity of human culture and the power of oral tradition or just an animal? Now, they're saying the, sort of the same things, but look at the language. One leads you to, to start having some sort of conclusions. You know, like, look at the way a testimony to the diversity of human culture and the power of oral tradition. I mean, all of a sudden you're like, yeah, last night in my hotel room, turned on, I, all I was trying to do was test my, I was having issues with my computer the other day, so all I want to do is test my computer. Science shows on, the, the mysteries of the earth. And we're watching this, and I'm dying, we're laughing. Me and Adam, we are, we're cracking up. We're like, this is, this is, if this ain't divine providence that we're on this show. Strong music, like the O Fortuna from Excalibur, like, dun, dun, dun. you know, he's like, um, Earth, we live in this uh, where the temperatures are on a razor's edge of life's extinction, and you know, and it, and I'm sitting there, I was like, this guy gets paid, this guy has to hate his job, he really does, because he's like, mountain out of a molehill, the way his language, volcanoes, the, the life-giving sustenance of earth and its ultimate destruction. Really? <laughs> the best, though, I saw was the modern mystery of missing gravity. And Adam, I about died on this. It was talking about how this glacier pushed the earth down and that pushed the earth out. Well, now there's less earth here, so there's less gravity. And I'm like... Wow, that was about as bad as it. Oh man, we were. I was like, I got to turn this down for a second. I I got to repent from watching this. This loaded language, just this. As I'm watching it, I'm like, I feel my blood pressure rising. Just the music and the way this guy's talking. That's why movies use music that a lot of times my wife gets all freaked out. I was like, it's just the music. Nothing's even going on. It's just the. It's creepy music. Language can do that same thing. Words evoke emotion. So when you use words in place of arguments, you're leading them emotionally to a conclusion. Like, would you want to study the science of evolution or the stupidity of creationism? Loaded language. Adults with imaginary friends are stupid. Loaded language. Another thing, another thing is what a word we call equivocation. It's a fancy word. This is one of your $5 words. Equivocation is where you use one word in two different ways in the same sentence. Okay? For example, the English word trunk. I used this the other day. Trunk can be like swimwear, nose of an elephant, tree, uh, a case, end of a car. Lots of different ways to use that word. Now, if I switch meanings in the middle of a sentence, you realize I've committed a fallacy. Okay. So as an example of this, I know evolution, meaning macro, is true because we see evolution, micro-evolution, happening all the time. What he's doing is he's using two different senses of the word evolution. I don't deny, mi- don't deny micro-evolution changes within a species, from the Chihuahua to the Rottweiler, but to say from the amoeba to the man... That's a different type of evolution. And this is how they make their case. Because we know evolution is true because we see evolution happening all the time. And he gives an example of microevolution. Time Magazine. I wish I had that. I've got an image of that somewhere. 
Time Magazine said, is evolution, evolution true? Here's our evidence. And they have a two-page spread. It's like centerfold. Like when you take the magazine, centerfold, and it was a bulldog. That was their evidence. Look at the bulldog and how the bulldog has been created, evolved through these successive changes in breeding. Still a dog. You can actually crossbreed a bulldog with a wolf because all the dogs come from a wolf. They're all genetically similar. You can actually, and I've seen this, I kid you not, I do not lie, I have seen the Chihuahua-Rottweiler hybrid. You can artificially inseminate a Rottweiler with Chihuahua sperm, and you can create Chihuahua Rottweilers. I mean, they're horrible looking dogs. Um, but it, it, they're that similar. They're still dogs. Okay. You cannot break the genetic confines. Correct. Whole another talk on that one. You can't get a human So here, here's how this works in a logical arguments. Fizzy drinks contain many calories. Calories are energy. Energetic people are healthy. Therefore, fizzy drinks are healthy drinks. The equivocation happened right here. Calories are energy. And energetic people, people with energy, are healthy. Not the same thing. It's an equivocation. Where you're like, wait a minute, you, you sort of follow. And uh, there's, a, there's a mock argument that shows like how um, Russians are red and firemen drive red trucks. Uh, and firemen are always rushing around all the time. And so, and Russians are communists, therefore firemen are all communists. Like, I mean, it's just, you, you hear the terms, like, it's all equivocation. Okay, it's actually the thing puns are made of many times. One of my favorite is um, the use, of, it's, it's kind of how puns work where in uh, Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, the only thing good that came out of that play was this one line. When Mercutio, he's about to die, he's taking a fatal wound from Romeo, and he says, somebody fetch me a surgeon, or for tomorrow I shall be a grave man. Because he's dying, and it's grave, and it's like, you know, it's an equivocation of the word grave meaning solemn, and a grave meaning dead. And I was like, that's one of my, that's, like I said, the only good line out of it, the only thing worth that play, really. Nobody is perfect, I'm nobody, so I'm perfect. <laughs> it's an equivocation on words. You're not using the words the same way. Questionable sources. I, I group this under bad language because. As you, as you try to examine the sources that people use, uh, they, they say these things sometimes and it comes out as the bad language, such as statistics show which ones. Can you show me which ones, please? My little brother is doing a PhD in criminal justice and he and I can no longer have civil conversations because the entire criminal justice system, as I've learned from him, is based on faulty assumptions that uh, the environment changes the person. Like, it's all environmental. Okay, which I'm like, where's human nature in this? Where, and he, it's thrown out. So statistics show and they have this. I was like, but that you're, you're eliminating human element. You're eliminating certain key factors. And so... They, they, they look at these specific statistics. This happens too. When I was in the education program, they would always talk about the statistics and I would ask, you know what? You're looking at elite college prep schools. Now, for all the other schools in the nation, especially if you're in a very low socioeconomic area, none of that works. But like, oh, this is the, the cutting edge research. Yeah, but it's not going to work. This is one of my favorite comics I saw this years ago. It's worth reading the whole thing. 
A pinch of preconceived notions, a dash of dogma, mix in a, well bowl, mix in a bowl of, of innuendo, then just say the magic words, and presto, you legitimize anything you want, no matter how stupid it is. Cool. So what's the magic word? Some say. Okay, what makes it work? Some say you club kittens for sports, Senator. Facts are a lot more fun when you get to make them up. I remember seeing this when I was in high school. I tracked this thing down on the internet. Because what it is, that's what people do. Some say, hear this in churches, hey, pastor, some say that you know you ought to do this. Or some say you know you have this problem. Who? Well, I can't break confidence. And I'm not interested in hearing what you have to say. Because number one, legally, I get to face my accusers. Number two, I was like, I can't ask any questions. I can't clarify. I can't deal with anything like that. <clears throat> Love Dilbert. Someday I want to get married because studies show that married people are happier. What studies? Smarter, a smarter interpretation is that no one wants to marry an unhappy person, which <laughs> I just love Dilbert. So much fun. So that's some bad language ideas. Suicidal statements. Self-refuting statements. In an image. I don't exist. Which what makes this image self-refuting it's because if there, if you can, if you can say the words "I don't exist," you must exist in order to say the words. Now, I have I have some professor friends who talk about that they have conversations with people who try to convince them that they don't exist. You ever try to talk to somebody who's trying to convince you that they themselves don't exist? It's an exercise in madness, is what it is. And people don't people don't understand this. This is I, if you get to walk away with anything, learn how to identify this. Okay, so we're gonna get we're gonna get a little practice. Apply the claim to itself. Let's start out with an easy one. I can't speak a word in English. What would you say? What? <laughs> Didn't you say that in English? See. This is, this is what we call, this is what Frank Turek in his book, um, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, calls the roadrunner tactic. You apply it to itself, and they no longer have any ground to stand on. Okay? So, roadrunner tactic. Somebody says, there is no truth. What do you say? Is that true? If somebody says there is no truth, you ask, is that true? Because if what they're saying is true, then they're wrong. And if what they're saying is false, they're wrong. They lose no matter what. It's a self-refuting statement. Pure genius. There is no such thing as absolute truth. What do you say? Absolutely true. Use their language. Are you absolutely sure? Is that absolutely true? It's true for you, but not for me. Oh, I heard this all through college. Is that true for everybody? Is it really true for everybody that this is true for you and not for me? Because if it's not true for everybody, then I'm one of those bodies that's not true for. And if it is true for everybody, then it can't just be true for you and me. You lose no matter which way you go. There's no truth but in anything but science. That's the only truth. Is that scientific truth? Because the answer is it's not. That's what a lot of people say. Science is the only means of truth. 
That statement itself is not scientifically verifiable. Yeah, when somebody says science again, like I said, science is the only means of truth. Show me what experiment you've run, whatever test data you've got, what do you have? It's a philosophical statement about the nature of the world. Metaphysics. Is that's a metaphysical statement, not a scientific statement. It's a it's a statement about the nature of reality and what exists and the way it exists. That's a philosophy. Now science does give information, but it's not the only means. Much like um, one of the ways we know things, we know things by our sensory data. Okay, like I can touch, I can know things by touch, by hearing, by seeing. I can also know things true by definition. Bachelors are unmarried men. If I see a bachelor, I know he's not married. Now I don't have to sense perceive that. I know that true by definition. There's all kinds of different ways to get that, or I could know something by experiment. Let me do something a hundred times, and if I keep getting the same result, I realize that this could be part of the truth. And that's what science does. allows us to test, allows us to understand, allows us to see and examine what that's CSI. I love the show CSI. Las Vegas, that's the best one for the original. And that's what they're all, is this even possible? And they go through the experiments. Look, here's how this happened. Here's how this didn't happen. All those things. That's science. I heard Frank Turing said scientists... Science doesn't say anything. Science Scientists do. It's a huge, huge difference. That's what somebody asked me that. Doesn't science go against us? No, the data is the same for both. It's the interpretations that's the issue. This is you can't know the real world. And I changed this because Immanuel Kant, that's who this is, says you can't know the real world. That's the joke. So if somebody says you can't know the real world, what do you say? How do you know that about the real world? How do you know the real world to know that you can't know it? you got to know something about it. So if you know you can't know it, let's tap into how you figure that out. Maybe we can find something else. As I say, maybe we can get a metaphysical finger in there and pull out more information. <laughs> you should doubt everything. The skeptic's mantra. Doubt everything. Should I doubt that? Should I doubt my doubt? Should I doubt my skepticism? Last one. I did a talk on this last night. Isn't that a judgment? Now, you were, you were you there last night? Okay. God comes up to me today. We're talking about Islam. He says, you know, talking about what they believe. Now, I'm not judging them, but... And I'm like... So so bad. I was like, I so wish I knew if these things, like what they were doing with these recordings. I was like, hey, I got to talk. You need to listen to. (laughs) So that's the that's the self refuting statement. Now a couple more, Uh, begging the question or circular reasoning. You hear this? Uh, I love. There's a whole bunch of these online. Players begging the question tried to assume their premise was already correct. That's the circular reasoning. Here's a great one from Scripture. People say the book of Revelation, okay, when you come to the book of Revelation, well, it's apocalyptic literature. How do you know the book of Revelation is apocalyptic literature? Well, it's full of symbols, okay? How do you know it's full of symbols? Because it's apocalyptic literature. Well, how do you know it's apocalyptic literature? It's full of symbols. How do you know it's full of symbols? Because it's apocalyptic literature. That's a circular argument. 
the begging the question is very similar. Instead of going around in circles, it'll just it'll just assume its premise is true. Um, as a, as an example, uh, so this is. Uh, this is sort of like an example. We know mass creates gravity because dense planets have more gravity. How do we know which planets are dense? They have more gravity. That's circular reasoning. I prefer to think of it as having no loose ends. A, uh, the begging the question principle is um, it's where you talk about evolution. It sometimes happens with an equivocation. Like when they talk about evolution, we know evolution is true because science has shown that evolution is true. Well, what science has shown this? Well, evolutionary science has shown this. You've assumed it's true to begin with as a part of your proof. And that's just, it's a fallacy. Lots of things are invisible, but we don't know how many because we can't see them. You think about that for a second. Why can't you see them? Because they're invisible. Well, how do you know they're there? Well, they're there, just they're invisible. Comics are great for this. Uh, Last thing, irrelevancy. The appeal to pity or the emotional appeal. This is where people use emotion to make their argument. Now, it doesn't mean that we should be emotionless human beings. But many times, especially political arguments, are based on how they make you feel rather than what is right or wrong. There's a big difference between these two things. The appeal of pity, the receiver is urged to accept the arguments based off of an appeal to emotions or sympathy, which is why, again, you know, oh, but look at how cute he is. That's why we should bring him home. Look at how cute. We can't afford him. But he's so cute. He needs a home. He's going to die in our house because we will not feed him. But he's so precious. I mean, again, that's the appeal to playing on the emotions. My wife and I still have this argument. We're not allowed to talk about this at all. Uh, it has to do, we had pictures at our church done recently. New pictorial directory. They come in, they do everything for free. And they give us a free 8x10. Every single person. They get a free directory and a free 8x10. Beautiful. Now, they take a bunch more pictures and then they take you back and they show you all the pictures. And they do no pro- high pressure sales whatsoever. They do not force. They let you take your time. Is there anything that you would like? Here's the packages we offer. Here's the cost. We'll go through all of it. Is there anything you want? You tell us. So, I love them. No high pressure stuff. We actually bought a little bit. They're really expensive. Like crazy expensive. We, my wife worked at a school. They're like the same group. She knows. The prices are super inflated. I know that. My wife says they're immoral for doing that. I'm just like, they're not forcing anyone to buy these things. Well, people are going to want to buy them and so they shouldn't charge those prices. I'm like... They can charge whatever prices they want to and people can say no. No one's forcing them. So her appeal is, well, because people are going to want to, there's this emotional appeal. They ought not to do that. It's not good enough. That's not how it works. You know, I said, she's like, but people are going to spend money they don't have. That's not their fault. That's not even their fault when people are spending money like on a dollar piece of candy they don't have. That's not their fault. That's an appeal to pity. Now, you know, is it fair? Is it not fair? No one's being forced to, so there is no immoral coercing. There's no, there's no underhanded methods. And I said, just be, I said, the reason why they can charge these prices is because people pay them. If people stop paying them, this is the beauty of the free market. If people stop paying them, I guarantee you those prices would drop. Okay, so... Latin word, ad hominem. You might have heard this kicked around sometime. 
This is where you attack the person rather than the argument. That's my favorite one. <laughs> you know, debate strategy. You can't win the argument. And your face is on a logical fallacy. It's just great. Doesn't mean it makes sense. Or when somebody attacks, you know, well, you're just a bigoted Christian. Well, is my is what I'm saying true or not? You know, I could be a horrible murdering psychopath, but my my statement still could be true. <laughs> okay, just because the the character of the person doesn't alter the truth of the statement. Okay. And I also say ad hominem does not mean an insult. So it's not just the insult. It's claiming that there's something wrong with the speaker and therefore their argument is wrong. That's what an ad hominem is. But that's what people will do. Well, you know, Christ said that we should love our, love our enemies. Well, you're a hateful person. Jesus still said we should love our enemies. But you're hateful to me. Jesus still said we're supposed to love our enemies, even though this is why this is this is my basis for as a as a pastor why I can say these things. I know I'm not perfect. There's something wrong with me. I have that same sin problem. But here's what we should be following. Category mistake. Just love it. It just says so much. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg from uh, Police Academy. Evolution is just a theory. Well, so is gravity, and I don't see you jumping out of buildings. Now, this is a category mistake. Category mistake is where you, you switch categories. And this is a guy, one in the oven. This is not in the category of things that can have a baby. Shouldn't be wearing this shirt. Okay, category mistake. With Mr. Dawkins here, he makes a category mistake in terms of the type of theory of evolution is versus the theory of gravity. Those are two different categories of theories. One is speculative, one is verifiable. Gravity is testable. Evolution is not. They are in different categories. Summary. Tactic number one, and this, this is just kind of where we've been. And again, if you, if you jot down, uh, if you give me your email, I'll send you these. I'll, I'll send you these PowerPoints and PDF. This is just where we've been. And let me just lay it out. I give you three tactics, three basic logical ideas, and seven major fallacies. Again, like I said, there's a whole book called 76 Major Fallacies, so I've given you about 10% of what one whole book goes through. Okay, But this is a great place to start to realize when people are saying said the stuff that they say, that sometimes you, know, you don't have to know a lot about it, just recognize the mistakes that are being made. So, last thing, and we'll go, conclusion. You don't have to be a scholarly professor to know how to think and reason through someone else's claims. You don't have to know everything about everything to refute anything that is illogical. You need to understand the rules of logical thought. I teach a class on logic. There's books. Um, I, didn't have, I didn't even have it on here. If you, if you give me your email, it's called Socratic Logic by Peter Kreft. He, he's a Christian and he goes through Aristotelian logic, goes through the informal fallacies, goes through formal, fa- formal logic, which we've not even touched. Okay, formal logic will straighten your thinking like never before. Anytime you are right and you know it, inject yourself with an extra dose of God-given humility before you respond. Because again, people reject what we say sometimes, not on the basis of what we say, but how we say it. And we are done. Gentlemen, I... Appreciate you for being here. It is now 1.47, so I believe my time is up. If you have any questions or we have time, I will gladly...